0: Okay, so we got a few more weeks left with our fabulous speaker, Peter. Let's give him a warm round of applause. (laughs) Let's welcome Peter. My name is Peter, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Yeah. Grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, glad to be here into the far turn. We've got about three weeks left of this. Uh, so I thank all of you hanging in there with me and allowing me to speak freely as spirit moves me. Uh, God separated me from alcohol June 23rd, 1988, and I am a recovered alcoholic. And as I say often, uh, if I didn't say that, I'd be falsely humble. I'm no longer seeking reco- being a recovering anything or hanging in there, but to seek uh, getting recovered and to stay recovered and to grow in understanding and effectiveness, which is pretty much what to- tonight's talk is supposed to be about, growing in understanding and effectiveness. A loving God separated me from alcohol June 23, 1988, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for everything that's been removed from me in my life. I think I shared a few weeks ago, it seems like the more God removes from me, the freer I get. And I'm no longer looking for external conditions to remedy this internal condition called alcoholism. I'm no longer reaching out there so I can feel okay as a way of permanent sobriety, but asking God to remove what's ever in the way to a surrender. My poverty spiritually has been so deep that the only inheritance I can get is from God. And sometimes we get so, the the, the darkness can get so intense that God is the only light. And with step 11, I go into darkness to see and silence to hear. And somewhere in there, when I'm lost, when I feel like there's nowhere to go, and everything's removed in the meditation, in the prayer, is where I finally discover God. Where there's nothing left but me. There's nothing left but God. I was talking to someone earlier about practicing meditation and uh, no attachments to where we're supposed to go in meditation, no attachments to how it's supposed to feel like, what it's supposed to look like, but we get to a place where we actually feel lost in meditation. There's nothing to grab onto and it can feel unsettling, but that is meditation. Why stop knowing? And there's no mind trying to grab onto, well, it's supposed to feel this way. And the only path, the only way I can see the path is by the light that burns in my heart to experience God. Because it's a path I've never walked before, going to a destination I've never experienced before. And most folks will bail out on that because we want instant gratification. I meditated, I'm Moses. (laughs) I prayed for 10 minutes, I'm having visions now. But how do we get here? I mean, we've done a lot of work over the last uh, couple of months and it starts way back in step one and is that drive to, uh, in desperation to get free still with me by the time I land in step 11 or if I become comfortable and rest on my laurels? Now I'm looking little by slowly to get external conditions to remedy what's still ailing me because we can experience re-emergence of ego right about now. You know, we've had some little experiences, we've had little uh, moments of awakening, maybe we're uh, self-employed and we're making some money, self-supporting, own contributions, we got the little relationship, the little AA relationship, usually blindly to blind, we're both going in the ditch, but we don't know that. You know, she's wonderful, how long she's sober, 20 minutes, but it's going to work out. So we get get to experience reemergence of ego. Uh, Dr. Thibault talks about this. And the ego doesn't tell me that it's reemerging. The ego tells me, you're all wrong and I know what I'm doing because I see visions of God. And I don't have to write inventory, I don't need to meditate. I meditate maybe here and there and I pray once in a while. I get to meetings and I'm good because I feel good. And I become a worshiper of my emotions rather than God. I become a worshiper of what I have rather than God. You want to see what my belief systems look like? Look at what I worship. You want to see how willing I am? Look at my actions. Is it still there in step 11 or have I gotten comfortable? And the book warns us about this in step 10, not to rest on our laurels because I'm headed for trouble if I do. I've rested a few times over the last few years. I've been sober and I'm always headed for trouble. All the time. And it isn't the immediate trouble, oh no, I'm going to drink. Just there's a little bit of disease and discomfort in my day and I'm doing a lot of thinking. And the less thinking I do means I have no mind. And if I have no mind, I'm experiencing total presence and I'm experiencing peace. I'm no longer looking to be the landlord of my kingdom. I have no kingdom. I'm no landlord. And whoever wants to walk in or walk out, they're free to do it. But when my mind and ego in control, I become landlord of my life. And I treat people like God and God like people. And I'm running the show. And that's why a lot of us start to run into some problems. And the ego gets so big, it will not allow me to tell you, hey, I'm not doing too good. Especially if we're sober a long time. We will never tell anyone how bad we're doing. Because you have a reputation to keep. A reputation we've created. The ego's created. Right? So back in step one, I, I get here in June of 1988, looking to do anything with a great sense of urgency to get free. And if it meant going to God, I'm going to go to God, even though I wasn't too thrilled about God, but I'm going to go after God. Because you're going after God, and you seem to be joyous, ha- happy, and free. You seem to have some assemblance about your life. And that that thing that generates me to, to experience God in one, is it still there in 11 and 12, in 10, 11 and 12, or have I gotten comfortable? And purely out of desperation, no good deed on my, my end, but just out of desperation, was I going to do what you guys told me to do, and that was get a God in my life. Now, how do I do that? Because my conceptions of God were based on what I was taught, and whatever my mind created to be God. And they told me, you don't have to go back to your religious community, just a group of junks for good only direction, G-O-D, that works, am I willing to grow towards God? Guess what? There are some times when we're in 10 and 11, we're sober a while, where we're not feeling connected with God, that we will come to a meeting and still find a group of junks for good only direction, tangible, and it'll get me through that hump. It'll get me over the wall. It'll get me under the wall. It'll get me around the wall, but it'll get me someplace. That's why our fellowship is sacred, and if you haven't found out the sacredness of Alcoholics Anonymous, I hope you stick around to find out how sacred it is and treat it as such. This is the last house on a block for me. I have nowhere else to turn but back to my home called AA, which has allowed me to do a lot of other great things with my life. So I try to treat AA accordingly, and no matter how much I give back to this sacred fellowship, I still fall short every day. I can make three meetings a day for the next 20 years and do all sorts of service. It doesn't pay back to TAB, to Alcoholics Anonymous, because I'm standing in front of you tonight free, and I haven't thought about drinking or any other substance in many, many years. Only when I go to give a talk, only when I do a 12-step call, only when I'm sponsoring someone, does that get brought back in order to speak their language. Other than that, I'm free because of God's mercy in my brokenness. Huh? So in that place of current unmanageability and the unmanageability that I'm a drunk and I'm doomed to drink and meetings won't, re- won't solve that, at the beginning there, it's a bandaid aid and an open wound. But long-term beating, meetings don't treat my alcoholism. God could and would if he was sought. And I learned about current unmanageability. I could be not drinking but look like a drunk with a drink in me. Right? Lying, cheating, stealing all over page 52. And I'm wondering what's wrong with me. But God forbid I should turn to God. God forbid I should write some inventory, open up my big book. And I'll surrender to a sponsor. It's not going to happen. Because I'm me. I'm gold. I'll figure it out. Starting tomorrow, I'm gonna be spiritual. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they point to the solution in step two. It's a place I'm gonna get to, it's a guarantee, it's a promise, because in step 10, they deliver the promise, they deliver the contract. Step two talks about I'm gonna get to a place called sanity, wholeness of mind, truth. And in that place, my thinking mind is no longer in charge. The mind is a wonderful servant, terrible master. Most of it, it's our master. It's our God. And somewhere in the process of the removal of self, the death of self a successful living, my mind is no longer in charge. We get to be in charge of the mind because we're coming with a God mind through this emptying out, this metanoid, this pouring out. I'm no longer double-minded. I don't have two gods, stuff or you and God, how most of us walk around. Because if I'm in fear about something, that means that something is God. And my God just might not work. You know why? Because I'm God. So it's me against you now. So we get to see step two is the point to the solution that I'm going to get to a place of wholeness of mind where my mind's not telling me to use anymore. And if I'm not using, that means my body's not experiencing a phenomenon called craving. Simple stuff. Only in desperation will I follow. Step three is the decision to get there and I start cleaning house and I take a look at me and disregard everything everyone else did to me. It's my inventory and that's when the life feels like it's getting flipped upside down because everything I believe was me everything I thought life was about is removed I'm challenged on every area of my life and I start to see how I've been playing God in every area of my life and the ego little by slowly gets grinded into dust I'm looking at resentments and fear and sex inventory principles institutions my entire life not a life story my entire life are my misperceptions and conceptions about everything including God we all got it. No one's immune for it. If you're sitting in this room tonight and you're claiming by raising your hand you're an alky or an addict, you have resentments. Maybe listening to me kicked up a few. <laughs> all right. You have fears. In fact, everyone in here, I'll go out on a limb and say we're fear-based and insecure unless we have an experience with God. Because what's behind a resentment is Fear. I'm like a little eight-year-old lost in a mall and can't find mama. That's how I was navigating through life. Just crying and screaming and bouncing off of people and walls. I don't know what to do. I'll figure it out. No, I won't. And the more I try to figure it out, it's like trying to swim in quicksand. Nice effort, but I'm going nowhere. And so I write all this stuff out and God is the one who's allowed me to write and I sit down with the sponsor in five and I finish that body of work and I'm looking at what's left over, my first step for life, which is step six and seven, the nuggets, the defects of character or the shortcomings, same thing. And those are the things if I don't turn to God with, they will deal with me and they'll take me back out, little by slowly drift me away from you, from God, because my defects are God to me and they can disguise themselves, and the defects have defects. So we'll call friends, and they have more defects. And I start to be attracted to people who are unhealthy. You want to know how good you're doing? Look at the company you keep. Right? Everyone just got up and moved to the other side. <laughs> <clears throat> and sometimes we go right past six and seven, because it's only a couple of paragraphs that are not necessary. Remove six and seven from the 12 steps and see how lopsided the whole program is. Right? It's a constant surrender. It's in black and white, my brokenness that I surrender to God with, my defects of character. And even though we get recovered, defects of character will show up. We're not immune to defects of character. As long as I'm thinking, I have defects. That's why the goal is to have no mind, no thought. And little by slowly, we start to experience these gaps of having no mind, where we're absolutely present. We're not thinking about later on or before. We're thinking about we're here now with you. And in that moment, we're completely free, and that starts to open up, and they become larger and larger, and suddenly we're walking around, no thinking. We think we have to think. Got to figure it out. Let me, let me get a plan. Let me, let me think about this bad news. What is God telling me to do? I have now a life of invitation for years, a life of invitation, which means I don't need to get balance in my life. Because anytime I try to get balance in my life, who was figuring out how to get balance? My thinking, mine, which means it wasn't going to work out, but I surrendered to my God with the life of invitation, and then you invite me into your life. You invite me into your life. I get invited to do a talk. I get invited to show up for work every day. There it is. Okay, I know what I'm doing. Tuesday night at eight o'clock, I'm here. Okay, that's my Tuesday evening. And some folks will say, let's go eat after the meeting. Okay, now I know what I'm doing. Or I go home. Tuesday's done. God willing, I wake up tomorrow, I'm supposed to be at the airport. Okay, morning's done. A life of invitation, a life of daily surrender, a life of acceptance. This way I don't have to wrestle or have resistance to what is. We think about the last week, since last Tuesday. How much resistance do we have to current events? How much uh, reluctance do we have about showing up somewhere? How much struggle, this season, discomfort do we have since last week? About anything. Resistance comes from the mind, not from the soul. Because I'm thinking. When you look into a new, uh, newborn child's eyes and you melt... That's what children do because they ooze God. You're not thinking, I love this child. Love doesn't need to think. Anger, resentment, it does. Got to replay it, got to replay it, got to replay it. So how much thinking did we do th- this week? We want to gain the world and lose our soul. I was like that from a long time. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, the capital of materialism on the wor- in the world. Get stuff. You got a Cadillac? You're a gangster, which means I'm made. I'm a superstar. Got a lot of jewelry, I'm superstar. Got stuff, got the bigger house, have a wife, a few girlfriends, just, I'm I'm a big shot. Just get stuff. And I come into Alcoholics Anonymous and they tell me, stuff's not going to fix you. In fact, give everything away. Outer riches and in, in, inner poverty. Gain the world and lose your soul, huh? That's how people operate out there. And Alcoholics Anonymous, they told me just the opposite. I'm I mean, Getting my soul food and my nurturing the soul will spend lots of time getting dressed, lots of time uh, 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 counting our money, lots of time acquiring things. How much time do I spend with God? How much time do I uh, spend nurturing the soul? Because at the end of the day, that's all I got. And this soul will be here for a thousand years from now. The body's going to get old and go away. God's going to call me home one day. What kind of legacy do I leave? Or how many bodies in my path did I leave? Because it's going to happen to us at some point. We don't like to think about that. One day, God's going to call me and you home. Am I going to go gracefully? Or am I going to struggle and fight and kick and scream because I'm not done yet with guilt and remorse for all the people I stepped on? It starts right now. Walk in the sunlight of the spirit, I close my eyes and go home. The same way I walk here. People ask me, are you nervous about doing this? Why? I'm not speaking. I hope I never show up for these things. Step eight talks about make a list. And I become willing to that list and step nine I go out and make amends. And the tree is getting pruned and I'm getting freer and experiencing more of God. If you're not free tonight, don't you want to get free? If you're free, do you want to experience more freedom? That comes through the process of making amends and growing understanding and effectiveness. Because if I'm still driven by the voices of the past, how could I be present now? How could I move forward if I'm still looking at my current stuff with old voices, old perceptions, old conception, old eyes? I can't do it. I have hypocrisy in my soul at this point. I'm holding on to old stuff and I'm trying to be present with God. It doesn't work. They will collide. And so I go out and make restitution. I go, and do all the things God allows me to do in step nine. And then one day I wake up and realize I'm not thinking about drinking and I feel awfully light, wearing the world like a loose garment, be in the world, not of the world. And I'm having mercy without judgment on people. Things are starting to change. I came into AA, I judged everyone. And if you screwed up, i gossip about you and know, have no mercy on That's how I was brought up. That's what the neighborhood was like. Talk about everyone so I can rise myself above everyone. But when I gossip, it's good gossip. When you gossip, it's gossip. <laughs> and the road narrows on this path. When we hit 10, 11, and 12, we're in, we passed through that archway. And we enter the world of the Spirit. We get sick quick. I get sick quick. Start gossiping, start backstabbing, start cheating and stealing. It just doesn't work anymore. You can feel the weight of the hypocrisy in the soul. I'm claiming God with my lips, but my action shows something completely different. I need to be all in, a journeyman, surrendering to God. The question we have to ask ourselves when we look in the mirror and no one's around, am I all in? Am I a messenger for God? Am I an agent for God? Am I all in? Or am I doing just because it's convenient until things get better, until I work this out? Or am I all in? Whether things are going great or things aren't so great, I'm an agent for God and I come here to serve, not to be served. if i 'm working my eleventh step regularly i 'm probably all in. If my meditation is vague is, is null and void, my nightly review doesn 't exist if i 'm checking in with God while i 'm driving on ninety five that 's my prayer life. I have no meditation life i 'm not accountable to anyone i 'm not all in and i 'm going to get drunk and I speak for myself i 'm half stepping i 'm half measuring. I'm running the show again. My ego says, we'll do it tomorrow. You're okay right now. That's a little extreme. Look at us. We're good. I'm comfortable. You're not doing step 11. According to my big book, and if I don't have step 11, I probably am lacking in step 10, which means I probably haven't completed amends, which means defects of character have gotten very, very sharp, and I can't tell they're there. You can. But defects are running the show again. I'm not accountable to anyone. Turning it over, I've taken it back. Insane thoughts are replaying, and I have current unmanageability. And sooner or later, I need a drink just to breathe again. And when that day comes, my ego will never announce its arrival. The way we go forward through the steps, we go backwards through the steps just as quick. Going forward, I can feel something happening. I can feel enlightenment. I can feel free. Going backwards, it happens, and there I am drunk at a bar in some crack house. The, the past few weeks, I, I work in a treatment center business, past few weeks, I've seen a lot of guys show back up in a detox. And I sat with every one of these guys and I said, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and you better do this and you better do that. They did just the opposite and they are all drunk again. When my elders in AA told me, go left and not right, I went left and I didn't go right. So if I'm still running the show, the depth of my willingness is manifested in my actions. If I'm still running the show and think I can start recovery tomorrow, I'm headed back to a drink again. It's that simple. How teachable am I? Especially when we're in step 11 and we've been around here a while. Am I following direction? My first six months in Alcoholics Anonymous, I start to feel good after a couple of months. And I thought I can kind of rest on my laurels a little bit. Just think of the arrogance that I walk with. Not even six months, and I was resting on my laurels. I was getting comfortable, and I started to chase things that I shouldn't be chasing. And almost six months to the day, I got really, really thirsty, and it just showed up. It was December 22nd, 1988. I wanted a drink really bad just to get some relief, just to get some ease and comfort because life on life's terms was killing me and that was my awakening, my rude awakening that I can't live life on life's terms, I fell miserably. So I live life on on God's terms today with the surrender. And somehow things kind of just evolve. The knot gets unknotted. That feeling in the gut gets opened up and we get free, we start to experience ease and comfort. I mean, just I'm sober 25 years. Just think of walking around for 25 years wrapped up tight with resentments and fears and anger and frustration. I can never survive it because I always want instant gratification. And if I had a few years in AA like this, I would have been drunk a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Cunning, baffling, and powerful. A subtle foe. It'll lay in wait. It doesn't care what I'm doing with my life, but it wants me drunk. Mm -hmm. And so step 10 talks about entering the world of the spirit where sanity returns, and I have my walking around step, my gut, uh, my gut check step, turn, watch, aware, observe, pause, take that from the eleven step. As I go through my day, I write some inventory, I discuss things with someone immediately, I'm accountable to accountable some folks, and I'm cleaning up my day. My eleven step practice. How free do I want to be? I start my day on my knees with prayer and meditation. For years, I haven't been reading anything in the morning. I used to read like, you know, every 24-hour day book you can think of. Meditation, you know, for this person, meditation for that. Meditation, if you're from Brooklyn, it was completely blank. (laughs) You know, all these, and I have to read all of them. And if I leave the house, oh, I forgot one and got to read the upper room and go. And I became neurotic with that. And then one day I dropped everything and just went to prayer and meditation. It was a great freedom. And I've been working with a, a, a posture and breath for a while. I just started reading scripture in the morning a couple of months ago. And I read a little bit of that to get centered. And that's all. It's just a centering exercise. I'm not looking to get anything out of it, just to get centered. And it's interesting. With no expectations, it starts to get internalized. The message starts to get internalized where the information we read, whether it's out of a big book or another book uh, of spiritual, uh, uh, spirituality, it goes from here to here. The information becomes internalized. The book becomes who we be. Our beingness has now changed. And that is the transformation. When we take a big book and it becomes internalized, when we take scripture and it becomes internalized, it's who we be. I don't need to remember something, it's who I am. That's the transformation. And that can only happen through the death of self. So I work with some prayer in the morning, prayers that we work with in here, third step prayer, seven step prayer, 11 step prayer, uh, uh, Lord's prayer. And then I go into sacred silence and for years I thought I had to create silence because I'm meditating, it needs to be still. But how could, we, how could I create that which already exists? Hear it? The thunder of silence. Now I talk and it interrupts the, it interrupts the silence. Silence. My natural state of beingness, our natural state of beingness is stillness. That's where we come from. That's where we return to. And then we create noise because many of us can't stand being quiet for more than 30 seconds. Got to do something. That's why meditation can be so uneasy because there's nothing going on and I need something to go on. I need to attach something to me can't create that which already exists. So I go into meditation with posture and breath and found ease and comfort in that. Many folks say people like us meditate to escape reality when in reality we're experiencing the only reality that exists. Silence, God. Because that's the only place I can experience God in the present moment, in stillness. When I'm thinking there's no God there, when I'm in fear, I got my mind running the show, I'm unhooked from God for a moment. When I'm, resentment, when I'm resentful the same thing, the problem is when my mind's in the way, I think God's got a resentment with me too. Like me and God got a resentment against you, so you're in trouble. We start to think God thinks like us. God's not in the business of thinking. He doesn't need to figure anything out. And when I first started meditating, I remember uh, a woman gave me a, a, a timer. She said, I want you to work with two minutes in the morning. Two minutes. And she told me posture and breath. Posture and breath is key here. Breathing in one, breathing out two. Seeing the breath. Counting the numbers. Get unhooked from the mind. And she says, as you breathe and sit, your mind's going to go 20 different places. Don't resist it because you cause more struggle. Just go with it and come back to breath. Come, go with it and come back to breath. Two minutes became three minutes. Became five minutes. Became eight minutes. I didn't need a timer. And it was part of a rhythm. Meditation, I have found, is a rhythm to it. There's a rhythm to my being now. You can feel it. If anyone's a musician, you know when the band's out of beat, you gotta stop and start all over. Some, someone's dragging, someone's out of tune. Same thing with meditation. There's a rhythm to my life and that comes from that sacred science. It comes from the God pulse. But I would never experience that if I never tried meditating. And I give attention to this God in meditation, so I sit. My meditation's at least 10 minutes. Usually about 20 in the morning. I don't count anymore. But I wait for my God to direct me in that place. I've taken information and questions into meditation, not expecting the answer as soon as I'm done, perhaps in a week, maybe an hour, or maybe from someone else that I meet at work or in an AA meeting, but I surrender that to God as well. Sitting in posture, giving attention to God is a surrender. And I wait And I do the same thing at night after some nightly review when I retire at night. I constructively review my day, my book says. It's not about finding out what a loser I am. It's finding out where I went short, where I fell short, where I fell asleep for a little while, which is really the nature of sin, falling asleep, the ignorance that God's in my life, and I start to behave like a drunk without a drink. I mean, I miss the mark. I'll get resentful. I'll get fearful. I'll go sideways. And I take a look at that because if that stuff starts to grow, it's like cancer. And the only relief is another drink. So I write out inventory at night, which I discuss with the sponsor. On Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock, I'm on the phone with my sponsor. And here are my bullets for the week. And I show up like a student to the teacher, and he shows me what to do. I'm accountable. My sponsor has a sponsor. I sponsor about 10 men. So we have a thing. We're all accountable to each other. I pray, I meditate, write some inventory, my day is done. But what I started a whole bunch of years ago, I was actually moved to do this. As I start working with prayer meditation in the middle of the day, I do three a days. In the middle of the day, I work with, uh, 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 it's a religious practice with beads and I recite these prayers and I go into meditation for about 10 minutes and every day I will do this. No matter how busy I am at work, I get about 10, 15 minutes, I get an hour, whatever it is, and I will scoot away, go into a parking lot, I'll lock myself in the rest, wherever it is. And I will work with this stuff. Sit in my car, just me and God. Get my compass back, get my center back and go out and do my day. And I've been doing this. There's no thought about it. There's no like what an accomplishment I had. It's who i be now. My beingness has changed from what walked in here in 1988 because of this great power called God. Quite frankly, what we ought to be in Alcoholics Anonymous is a pep rally for the power of God and not apologize for God in AA. We should be talking about God in every meeting we go to. Unfortunately, so many meetings, God forbid, you talk about God. We're getting too spiritual. Don't bring the big book in here. Don't worry about the steps. You don't need them in the first year. And people are dying. Our recovery rate in AA was through the roof when this deal started because it was about getting God now. Our book says, May you find him now. exclamation. Somehow, 90 meetings and 90 days replace God. 90 meetings in 90 days replace the 12 steps. 90 meetings in 90 days, we're dying because of it. Because we're not directing new people like this guy who got here tonight. Get him to God tonight. God doesn't have a busy schedule for him. God doesn't have a day calendar. You have to check in with God's secretary, see if there's an open slot next week. But we have a lamb that's been lost and we're here, let's go get him and bring him back to the fold. Because God's always willing, God's always ready. God's pursuing me and pursuing you for, for a relationship. God doesn't care about my sin, God just cares about me, period. God doesn't care about your shortcomings, God just cares about you, period. And so this God is pursuing me. And some of my experience in step 11 have really flipped my thought process around about God. Isn't it interesting that I am asked to serve in AA? I am asked to serve in my life. I am asked to serve God and surrender to God. And when I find out, God is serving me. God's giving me another breath, another heartbeat. And God will be there when my heart beats its last beat, my breath takes its last breath. God is giving to me. God gives me to AA. God brings me to his talk. God gives me sponsees. God gives me a job. God gives me money. God's serving me, and yet I'm always serving God. The whole thing is upside down to the mind. My mind can't wrap its arms around this great power, this, this, this loving power, this forgiving power. So, how come our meetings in AA don't talk a lot about God? We hear war stories. Oh, we'll hear a lot of war stories. Oh, war, we got great war stories. We'll go to a meeting here and I will pitch on how bad it was. And that's it. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> what? Well, how did you get two years? How did you get five years? How did you get ten years? That part we forget about. Because our book says what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Self-will, spiritual experience, what I'm doing to grow in understanding and, uh, and, uh, understanding and effectiveness. On awakening, we think about the 24 hours ahead, right? We ask God to direct our thinking. My book tells me, Pete, go to God. Let God do your thinking for you because you know we could wake up at 6 a.m. By 6.15, the day's ruined, right? I broke a shoelace. You see what I mean? It's always me over a shoelace, right? Or it's raining out. And you wear suede shoes like I usually do. My day's ruined over, over trivial stuff. I mean, we'll do this. And we do, why me? It's always me. It's 6.15 in the morning, and I'm already, like, annoyed. Right? So we ask God to direct our thinking. Here's something I've come to experience. What I wear is important to me. Where I live is important to me. What I drive is important to me. But it's not so important. Hear what I just said? What I wear, what I drive, where I work, how much money, it's important to me. My friends are important to me. My loved ones are important to me. But it's not as important as God. Because anything I put before God, I'm going to lose and everything that's been given to me is on loan. I live, I don't know about you, I live in a world of impermanence. Nothing's going to be here forever. So that, that really nice card that, that I go out and buy and spend way too much money to impress everyone that I don't like on something I can't afford. It feels good for a while, but then it gets old, and then I trade it in, or I sell it, or I don't care about it, or it breaks down, and I got to get another one. Life is like that. We live, I live in a world of impermanence. Nothing's here forever except God, and I can get attached to those things that are going to go away anyway, and I put all my value, all my stock into someone's opinion of me, and God becomes third or fourth or fifth on the list. Instead of prayer being the most important event in my day, I have ten thousand other things that are more important, and I'll pray somewhere in there. So I ask God to direct my thinking. Think about the twenty-four hours ahead. Consider my plans for the day. One of the words I work with in step eleven—I've done it for years—is the word pause. Practice pause. Instead of having a knee-jerk reaction to something I don't like I practice, pause. Somewhere in there, I kind of get centered. I turn back to God. I get the compass back, and I'm practicing mercy. I'm practicing understanding. This morning, I was at work, and a, a guy at work was, was telling about a non-AA's view on what a newcomer should do. And what the sponsor should do. This person's probably been to one AA meeting in her entire life, but she had the whole game plan on what we're supposed to do to the newcomer. And he's telling me this, looking for some direction, and I'm listening, and my blood's boiling. And I can feel the hair on my neck going up, and I'm looking, let's, let's plot against her, let's go get her, right? And then something said, be still. Practice pause. Pause can be a beat, pause can be a half hour Pause could be a week, just practice pause And seek God and wait The most difficult thing for someone like for me, me to do is to wait And just wait and be still How much attention am I giving to God throughout my day? It says when I retire at night When I first got sober and I retired at night I didn't want to look at my day because it was getting ugly I wasn't acting out so much, but some of my thought process was frightening. Some of the things that were going through my head, things I wanted to do, were frightening. I didn't want to put that on paper. It was some of my any lens, and I would see some of the amends I owed people for my wreckage during the day. I refused to look at this stuff, but again, step one, desperation, that's what I did. And at the beginning, I did it because I had to do it. Today, I do everything because I get to do it. I get to be free. I get to experience this. So I sit down at night and write inventory. Am I quick to see where religious people are right, making use of what they offer? Or am I still shutting down my religion? I don't have to like my religion, but am I shutting it down because of contempt, pride, investigation? Whatever my religious affiliation is. You know a scary thing that I've been uh, noticing lately? When I was a kid growing up, everyone knew what religion they were do I want to get on a soapbox, but this is some food for thought. Growing up, everyone knew Joe was Jewish, Frank was a Catholic, he was a Hindu. Everyone knew where they came from. I'm in a treatment center business. If I had a dollar for every kid 25 and under who has no clue what their family religion is, I'd be a rich man. I'd be going home in a Ferrari tonight. There's something radically wrong with that. And when you talk to these folks about religion or about God, it's more than contemporary investigation. Don't even bring it up. And yet we come and tell "says you, you need to find God. There's not a thin wall, there's a thick wall. How are we going to knock that down? I'm hoping they're desperate. It's a frightening thing. I came into AA with some contempt pride investigation about God, but in desperation, I was seeking His God, and little by slow, I started to get a God in my life. It's the most important relationship we'll ever have, for me, especially. Where else am I going to turn? What do I do with this? So I went back to my religious community in a form of making an amends. I went through the steps again, and I had some contemporary investigation about, I would go back to my religious community, but I wasn't a full-fledged member, and I had some stuff going on, and I went back to my church, and I made amends to a parish priest, and he said, why don't you just come tomorrow? I said, okay, in amends, I'll come back, and I'll, I'll show up for mass tomorrow. I wept like a baby, and I've been a member since. It has blown doors open on my recovery, and I'm very quick to see where religious people are right. It's funny how God spoon feeds us. When 9-11 hit, I was stuck in Atlanta, and I figured like most of us, the world ended, and the devil had his way with us once again. Now what do we do? We really did it this time, didn't we? I didn't know what to do. thought my brother was dead, because he worked down there, we couldn't hear from him. All the cell phones were down, the towers, it was a mess, as we all know. What do I do? I'm stuck in Atlanta. And I was watching this, this, this program on TV. Dropped to my knees, begging God to forgive all and fill everyone's heart with love. I remember doing this out of desperation. God, fill even our enemies. Pray for them that their hearts get filled with love. Because if it was, they would never do something like this again. Let this be it. And I'm watching this program. And there was this rabbi on. And the first thing in my mind says, well, what is he going to say? I'm a Catholic. I can't listen to this. (laughs) And because of what the rabbi said, I slept that night. God spoon feed me. Be open. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Different religion, different clothes, whatever it is. Different colors, so what? They're children of God like I am. And whatever, I remember what this man said. And the way he said it, I made some sort of reconciliation in my heart to get to sleep that night. Because I was in, like many of us, for a very long night. And that was the first catalyst for me to seek people out. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care. And because of that, I've learned so much and I've experienced so much more. I'm a Catholic. People saying, why are you studying Buddhism? What's wrong with you? Nothing. It's bringing me closer to my God. Why are you studying this other religion? Why are you studying all these books? Why not? Aren't they children of God too? Right? Don't we fight wars over because you're one and I'm the other? I'm not doing that. There's no more, more war in my life. And what it has done is my life has come taken the 180, the same God I grew up with, who I had contempt for, scoffed at, and criticized. I've been brought back to that same God with a new set of perceptions and conceptions about that God, with the relationship with this God, because of all the influences I've got. Because of my openness, which the 12 steps have done, they have pried me open with the jaws of life to receive and then to give away all information. I don't care what religion it is. That's why a book says, be quick to see where religious people right, make use of what they offer. How dare I, think about it when I would come into AA, how dare I, based on my track record, try to tell you guys what to do in AA and have an idea of how God's supposed to operate, like I know how to operate. I need a drink just to put my shoes on. But I'm going to have a problem with God and be very close-minded as to perhaps ideas about God and how I could could awaken and improve my life. Step 11 is so important here for my personal growth, spiritual growth, and I can see the poverty that I have spiritually in my life. And if I was to walk away from God somehow, I would be broke spiritually again. And the only relief for someone like me is to pick up another drink. And if I think I'm not capable of doing that, then my ego has really taken over, hasn't it? So I guess the question is, what are we doing to grow in understanding and effectiveness? What's my prayer life look like? What's our life of meditation look like? How often do we pray? How often do we meditate? How often do we surrender to God? Am I able to practice these principles in all my affairs when others around me are not? What's that look like? Do I write inventory at all? was the last time I picked up a pen and paper and wrote inventory and then discussed it with someone? Do I have a sponsor? Is my sponsor taking me through the steps, or we just talk? Hmm? If I had a terminal, another terminal illness other than alcoholism, I'm seeking out the best doctor on the planet, and I'm going to follow everything he tells me to do, because I don't want to die. Come into AA with a terminal illness called alcoholism, and we write the prescriptions. We come up with the remedy. Sponsor said, go left. I'll go just a little bit left, but I'm going to go back right again because after all, it's me. And then we die. So what's our 11-step practice look like? I'm very grateful for this work. I'm grateful to where I've been brought to as well and my belief in God and my faith in God and my trust in God, but I'm no longer a seeker of belief or faith. I'm a seeker of experience. I know when I was out there, if something looked good, I'd take your word for it until I ate it, drank it, shot it, snorted. I didn't know what it was like. Then I had a little experience with it. I says, give me three. It's the same thing with God. I need to have an experience, my own personal experience with God, so I'm no longer a seeker of belief or faith, but a seeker of experience. I seek God with the desperation of a drowning man. I'm very grateful for that sense of desperation, that sense of urgency after 25 years. I hope it never leaves and continue to be of maximum service to God and be a better effective agent for God. I'm either growing or or I'm going. That's all I got. Peace.